0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. I am thrilled that this week's sponsor is Audible. Audible is if you don't know, is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, two Audible originals from monthly selection, access to daily news digests, and guided meditation programs. They also have Everything like stories.audible.com, Audible Sleep, they have expanded Audible Originals. I recently did an Instagram Live with Cheryl Strayed about her Amazon Original Story called This Telling, which you should definitely listen to, and it's awesome. It's just great. I use Audible all the time. Every time I take a drive, I download another book, whether it's Jill Biden's book to prepare for her episode or... Um, what did I do recently? Um, Kim Brooks, I just, in, uh, downloaded Small Animals, uh, Parenthood in the Age of Fear. That was great. I listened to Peace Medis book, um, which was fantastic. Um, oh, it's called His Only Wife. Anyway, Audible is great. I definitely would not be able to keep up with all the reading that I do without it. And you get to use my special code, audible.com slash Zivi. And, uh, it's so audible.com slash and you get a free month of audible. So go check it out and use it wisely and use the time while you're walking your dog. Oh, that's another time I listen to audible is when I'm walking the dog across the park. I listen to Jenna Bush Hager's whole memoir doing that, um, and many others. So, um, thank you audible for being a sponsor and everybody else go to audible.com slash and download a book on me. Nicole Krauss is the author of the international bestsellers Forest Dark, Great House, which was a finalist for the National Book Award and the Orange Prize, and the History of Love, which won the Sarayan Prize for International Literature and France's Prix de Mayo Livre Étranger, étranger maybe, and was shortlisted for the Orange Medici's and Femina Prizes. Her first novel, Man Walks Into a Room, was a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book of the Year. In 2007, she was selected as one of Granta's Best of Young American Novelists, and in 2010, she was chosen by The New Yorker for their 20 Under 40 list. Her fiction has been published in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Harper's Magazine, Esquire, The Best American Short Stories, and her books have been translated into 37 languages. She is the first writer in residence at the Zuckerman Mind-Bot-Brain Behavior Institute, at Columbia University, and To Be a Man is her first collection of short stories, which is mostly what we're talking about today. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited to discuss To Be a Man, your collection of stories. And I just took this off of my shelf behind me where I knew exactly where it was on eye level. So I pass it like every day Um, The History of Love, just FYI, (laughs) in case you were wondering. Anyway, for readers who don't know anything yet about To Be a Man, can you tell us what this collection of stories is essentially about and what inspired you to write all of them, I guess, or to make a whole new collection of stories? Well,
1: it's always hard to say what any book is about, per se, even a novel, but it's especially hard when it's a collection of short stories. But if pressed, I would say that it's a collection of stories that's largely about relationships, about what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man, about the tension between freedom and relationship, the requirements and limitations of relationship, and the difficulties of freedom. I think it's a lot about the paradoxes of people, you know, all of the, there are a lot of men in these stories, a lot of women looking at men and experiencing men. And the men, just like the women, are full of contradictions. And they're not, you know, contradictions that I want to solve as an author, but I want to hold and to look at so maybe that gives you a taste.
0: I mean, I'm glad I pressed. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad yeah. you were pressed to answer. That was like a perfect, beautiful, articulate answer to that question. So par for the course with your writing, but yes. <laughs> well, let me talk about just a few of the stories with you. The first story, for instance, Switzerland with Soroya. And at first I didn't even realize if it was a girl or a boy. And as the story unfolds, you kind of realize what's going on and that there are three girls sort of in this intermediate sort of boarding house-ish type place. And one girl gets in snared in a perhaps not so great relationship with a presumably much older man and what happens to her along the way and we can only imagine as you at this, as the story unfolds so in this story, I felt like the girls were so with so few words, you created these entire characters and mm. you enabled me to feel like fear and worry for a character that had like just appeared in my imagination. <laughs> and I'm always intrigued by how an author can do that because a minute ago I didn't even I hadn't even met this character. Next thing you know, I'm like, "Oh no, don't go to the hotel." So what do you think it is? What do you think helps you create that sort of intimacy and ability to like get the reader right in to get to know a character like that?
1: I think it begins with the writer's own relationship to the characters. I tend to choose characters that I feel like an enormous amount of compassion for. and And I don't think that's unusual, but I don't think it's always the case. I think there are writers who do very well choosing characters that they are they hold it in like ironic distance from themselves. And I think for me, I get very, very so close to my characters that I am I am them. I'm inside of them and or I'm pulling out pieces of myself in order to make them um, or pulling out pieces of intimate experience. So in this case, the narrator is 13 and those older girls, Soraya and Maria, are 18. And I had the structure, or like the setting, or maybe the circumstance of the story came from my own experience of being 13 in a boarding house in Geneva, at boarding school. And um, it's just a time I, you know, at a certain moment in life, I found myself going back to my memory and thinking about that time, and 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 the story kind of came out of that. But I, you know, those the girls, the other two girls that the narrator are describing, I just think she feels and so I as a narrator felt such enormous like affinity for them or connection to them that they were these older girls who kind of cut this pathway into this more mature life that as a 13 year old she knew was on the horizon but she hadn't reached yet and they kind of were teaching her something about it in their way and I think there's a kind of strange gratitude in that Maybe that's part of what allows the reader, if the reader likes the story, to feel like a quick connection to them as well.
0: Hmm. And then in other stories about the character who goes to, I think it was Tel Aviv, and has and inherits her father's apartment and starts following the strange man who comes in and starts cooking her dinner. I'm blanking on the name of that story, but I can look it up really fast.
1: That story is called "I'm Asleep, But My Heart Is Awake," which oh. is a from Song of Song of Songs. Yeah.
0: Oh. so that story was fantastic, but almost harder to imagine, like a little bit on the outer reaches of the suspension of disbelief, right? Would she really have followed him this far? How would she have gotten back? Like, so I feel like at times you kind of, you play with our imagination a little and like push the envelope.
1: Well, that that one story in particular, because that story is like sort of predicated on this idea that a man can arrive inexplicably into one's apartment and then have an ability to sleep and sleep like the dead in some sense. So there's a the question, of course, of like whether that story is real in the way that we think of like, you know, realism or whether it's real in a more soul level. I mean, it's a story about the question of the existence of the soul and what happens to the soul after death. And so I think that there I was willing to kind of, let the reader, I hope that the reader would would let, disband with their, suspend their disbelief a little bit in order to go to sort of, you know, where the story emotionally wanted to go. But a lot, most of the, a lot of the other stories are more realistic, but there are a couple that are like that. The husband is also a little bit, an, another one of those kind of stories that asks the reader to kind of leap off into something perhaps more imaginary. The line that stuck with me
0: the most, or the the thought I should say, is that the apartment that this woman inherits of her father's, she realizes like, oh, is this who he really was and where we had been living all this time because the mother had passed away? Had that just sort of been a front? And yet that was her entire life. And here right. she was in this other place, which seems so fundamental to who he was as a person. And yet she was just meeting it after he passed away. And it's
1: such a... Right. I don't know. But a lot of us, even if we don't have a parent who comes from one country and raises us in another country, and then we go back to that origin country and understand like, oh, this is what this is the place that made my parent. And it gives all this new access to them. I think even when we don't have that experience. All of us at some point or other come to understand that our parents are adults with their own secret, private lives that as children we didn't know about or didn't want to know about or they didn't tell us about. And I think that like coming to terms with one's parents, like other life as not as a parent, it's really an interesting thing. And it happens in stages. It happens like first, probably when we're teenagers. And then it happens throughout life. Like as we go through the things we watch them do, like have our children, we understand, oh my God, this is what they must have been thinking or feeling. And, And then of course, you know, I think as they get older or pass away, we go through their things. We find out all these other—I mean, I know so many incredible stories of you know people finding out of whole other lives about their parents lived they didn't know about. So I think all of that was on my mind in that story. Like what happens after a parent dies, and what is left, and what do you can go on discovering about them? And has that happened to you? No, thank goodness, my parents are both alive. Thank you for asking, but yeah, they are are still well. Good.
0: <laughs> and do you have, it seems like you have a, a close connection with Israel or what is that it, appearance in sort of most of your work? What is that about?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like a place that is kind of another, I want to say, I wanted to say another version of home, but I always have trouble with the notion of like home as a place because my family is, comes from so many places and growing up, we never were encouraged to kind of commit to any one place as an idea of home. Like America was where we were being raised, but we were from Europe. We were, you know, Israel was the place of where everyone in the family met, fell in love, got married, etc. You know, so it's just a place that I've been going to all my life. And it's become another alternative as a place to draw on as a writer and it has I find that as a writer I mean I, I feel such a connection to it I know it so well right but I feel like as a writer it provides me something different than let's say New York which is my other sort of local <laughs> geography provides me like New York has wonderful things and people and and strange contradictions in its life and and Israel has a totally different set of those right so like there's you know the whole system of Values in the society is completely different the levels of intensity are different it just I, and I find that those things to go back and forth between the sort of hot and cold <laughs> of those environments in some way just gives me a lot and and I wouldn't want to give up either one and of course you know i've set I've set novels and stories in a lot of places I mean london England was a big part of great House and there are stories here set in switzerland as you mentioned in japan and south america so I, i'm certainly a person like drawn to geography as like a way to reach ideas or feeling in fictional narratives interesting i i didn't
0: mean to suggest that you only were you were like a one location
1: yeah. pony right to <laughs> point out that that's a place that is like paramount to my work and certainly in the last novel and in these stories absolutely yeah And do you find, is it more
0: place specific or do you also feel like the religion is a key factor?
1: I'm not a person, but I think it's more, it has more to do with like 3000 plus years of history. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, America is such a new place, but Israel, it's like every stone in the ground is like sings with history. And I think the complexity of that combined with like a society that is very, a state that's very, very new and, and, you know, people trying to make them, invent themselves. I think all of that is very, very rich material. And I think, you know, it's just, there's just, there's so many things that pull me there. I, you know, it's one of those places where it's like so intense as a writer and like you can go and gather like 40 stories but you're exhausted afterwards. And like <laughs> New York I find is much better for actually work to get work done. I almost never get work done in Tel Aviv. I just, I do the kind of abstract work of gathering lots of stories and experience. And it's like New York is a place where of course everyone is working all the time. And so you don't feel like you're missing like the beach and the, you know, restaurants and the life and friendship that <laughs> seems to be there, everywhere. Tel Aviv. Yeah, I feel like
0: the whole culture here. I'm also in New York. Is is if you're like walking around the park all day, people are thinking, "What you know? What is she doing?" You know, whereas (laughs) whereas you are working, like you can be thinking and brainstorming and creating and doing all this essential work that you need to do before you sit down and put stuff on paper. But I don't know. It's sort of a culture of like, why are you not running somewhere else faster? (laughs) At times.
1: very i mean that's a very the sort of work as a religion is a very american you know ideal and and in new york it's just only exaggerated but it is remarkable when you grow up with that and then you go elsewhere to like the mediterranean or to india or wherever you know morocco and you just realize this is not the values of everyone else in the world you know like everyone wants to live and to get by and survive but like work as a definition of self is like a peculiarly American thing. And so I, I think it takes work to distance oneself from that idea. Yes. New
0: York particularly has its clutches and a lot of different sort of
1: <laughs> things we need to extricate from ourselves to
0: have a healthy life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, every place does these days, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. Now in particular. Different things, yeah.
0: So tell me more about how you got to this place in your career? When did you know you were a writer and how did you really get started? And then um, how did you not give up along the way?
1: Well, I really started that where a lot of writers do when I was a teenager, like 14. I'm it's a very specific moment because I, I had this older, I was in ninth grade. I had this older friend who was a senior and he was writing poetry. And so like it sort of became this way of kind of inventing myself which is what all teenagers are in in the process of doing right they're like trying on different selves very very quickly and I think the discovery that language was a medium in which that could happen with like enormous speed but also like breath you know you could become so many things on the page right and I think that was very attractive to me and I so I I stayed writing poetry for a long time. I thought that that's what I wanted to do. And it was just really much later when I was already finished with college that I started to write fiction, actually finished with graduate school too. I started my first novel, Man Walks into Room, was like the first time I really started to write fiction. And I was 25 when I wrote that. And I just, you know, I've been going since then, since I was 15, I've been at it, I guess. And, I, you know, in terms of like not being discouraged, like I've been discouraged a million times, but it's just like, It's so deeply at this point, it's so deeply part of how I process life and relate to the world and relate to other people, how I keep in balance with experience and feeling and communicate all of those things. It's just like, so it's so much who I am that that I can't, I can no longer like take it out of me or like, you know, give you, tell you why I do it or why I go on doing it. It's just like kind of breathing for me.
0: Somebody, another writer I interviewed at one point, or author I should say, compared it to dreaming. She's like, I, you know, it just dreams happen. You, they always come. You always have them, like, you
1: know. Yeah. except that like writing doesn't always come, which is really interesting. Well, that's true, like, right? Like you, I mean, I think you always need it. I mean, I always need it, but doesn't there's not always fluency? I find, but. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> is the,
0: do you write where you are now? Like, is this your workspace? Yeah,
1: well, I was in my right workspace until until we, we decided... So I like, dragged you across the apartment? And <laughs> and then, well, but although I often sit here and work because this is actually a rocking chair, so it's very... I don't know why. I don't give it away. It's also where I, like, nurse my kids, but I just try to give it up. It's extremely comfortable. But yeah, I tend to sit in the same couple of chairs to work. <laughs> so,
0: I guess it's the days of the coffee shop sort of writing or...
1: I never was a coffee shop writer. I just find it too distracting. I find other people too fascinating. I just want to look at people and understand what's going on and I can't focus on my work. So I have to be alone.
0: And do you find that in your own, like, friendship, say, or relationships, or if you go to have a f- dinner with a friend or something like that, that you apply that same sort of analysis, if you will, or observation where you're trying to figure things out in, like, every situation you're in? Do you know what I mean? Like, are you always sort of mining unconsciously for material in a way? Do <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? Unfortunately, yes. I mean, as all of my friends know. But my first thought to your question was, like, I think that there's, like, a psychological machine in some of our brains that is constantly trying to understand like people's motivations and to understand the subtext of what they're not saying (laughs) what they're saying and to try to make sense behind the scenes of what's visible on the surface of the conversation or the person and yes I can't dismantle that that's always at play and for better for worse in terms of material I mean yeah as I get older this is more and more (laughs) Problematic because more and more interesting things happen to all of us as we get older. All around us, are fascinating things happen to everyone. It seems like as we all enter midlife, and this question of like material and using material has been an interesting one. There, there is a story in the book, the title story, "To Be a Man," that involved, you know, kind of agreement with certain people that I would use certain material and with their blessing. And I think it, you know, it really does. There are writers who, who certainly don't ask for the blessings of the people whose material they, they borrow or steal. But it, it does matter a lot to me that I don't betray confidence. On the other hand, again, I feel like it comes down to, for I hope it comes down to a certain kind of compassion. Like when you feel compassion for the people you're writing about, even if you expose a vulnerability or fragility, a mistake, whatever, at the end, like you're holding up them up in the human light, right? Like that's the goal. And so in the end, there's like the love of attentiveness, I guess, like what it is to attend to somebody and look at them and try to understand them. So I, my hope is that that is always what comes through. And I think so far it has. I haven't offended anyone yet, lost any any dear ones, but you know i let's let's hope for the best <laughs>
0: <laughs> i read this article about you in l not to like you know snoop or anything but just to find out more and let me see if i can find the quote of course now i'm not going to be able to find it but you were talking about divorce and i'm particularly interested as i got divorced about 5 years ago or so and i'm always like reading up on it and all this mm-hmm. stuff and you had said something like that you knew something was amiss and yet you didn't know what to do with that information similar to knowing that the afterlife might not exist but not knowing how to handle that in the day-to-day life either.
1: That's, that's a quote from Forrest Dark. So the oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. No problem. I am often, that mistake is often made this, the sense that I am continuous with her but that's my own fault because I gave her my name. But that, yeah, that's, I remember writing that line. What? what no, the question is
0: really... How do you, especially in a life event like this, where I f- at least felt like the ground kind of shook under me and everything had to sort of be reimagined, how do you then take that experience and put that into writing without, I guess, betraying? I mean, back to our other question of mining for material, how do you use that and help yourself through whatever experience you're going through in the best, like, literary way, I guess?
1: Right. Right. i some I guess for that one i for my divorce, i didn't have a hard time with that because I didn't write about that. I feel like one of the mistakes journalistic or critical mistakes of writing about Forrest Stark was the notion that it's a book about divorce, but it isn't i mean the divorce doesn't happen in the book it's it's a it's about a woman who understands that she's reached a moment in her life where she can no longer sustain the forms that she's committed to, one of which is her marriage but the divorce doesn't actually take place in the book. It's just her journey kind of into herself, really. And so I didn't, because that book wasn't about divorce and it wasn't specifically about what it is to have a husband or any specific husband at all, I felt that I steered clear of there. And I, and I do think, you know, there are certain areas, the one that comes, jumps most readily to mind is one's children. There are certain things that you just cannot, you know, there are lines you cannot cross and that I feel very strongly about. So I, I didn't have that issue in my work, but I think the kind of things I'm thinking about are like, you know, I don't know, friends or lovers or or parents or siblings, you know, those yeah. kinds of things, you know, where, where you sort of It's a slightly different situation.
0: And what, are you already at work on your next big project? Or are you taking a minute?
1: Um, Both. I mean, I'm always working. I'm always writing. I'm trying to find my way into a new novel, which is always a kind of long process for me, but a pretty playful one at this point in my life. It It wasn't always, but... So I'm playing with a a few ideas and and working on things, but I don't yet feel that I'm like in the, that I found the vein that I'm going to mine for the novel, let's put it that way. But yeah, I I wrote a story during quarantine that's coming out in Harper's, their next issue. And and then I thought, okay, maybe I'll put aside short stories for now and really try to, to get into a novel. So we'll see.
0: And is it just like when the mood strikes?
1: No, no, I'm a pretty disciplined worker. I work every day. So I think when I'm when I'm in this stage, I'm reading a lot and I'm and you know, normally I would say I'm living a lot, like in order to acquire or accumulate experience, but like living a lot, I don't even know what that means in times of COVID, right? Yeah. What does it mean to live a lot now? And so that's been interesting, <laughs> particularly because my life has been in these last Whatever, many seven years been deliberately designed to allow for like maximal experience, and so it's like, well, how can one do that, or can one not do that? You know, and now I just have to, you know, burrow in. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> a lot happened to me. I think I still have a lot of material to draw on. So, thanks, and the banks there.
0: Yeah, time to open up the vault and go back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Wow. I I mean, I I guess there's, you know, the only thing I ever think to say is just like, it really requires like doing it constantly. And I think a lot of times people imagine so many people imagine that they have a book in them. And I think we all do like the book in all of us is like the self that's the book we're all writing. But in order to actually translate that or some part of that into a real book, it like really requires just like the doing like the daily doing of that. And it seems like like obvious advice but I I think very few people actually take it honestly. I think a lot of people sort of think about writing or imagine writing or want to write or see the value of writing but don't like go through the hard effort of like putting language on a page day in and day out and that's the only way anything ever gets written. But, yeah. And
0: is there any last question? Just wondering like what are you reading now? What do you like to read? I'm
1: reading uh, this right now, which is beautiful. It's Landscapes by John Berger. He's a, I don't know if you've read John Berger, but he's absolutely one of the most wonderful writers to read. And I loved his book, Portraits, which is sort of a lot of his art criticism about portraiture. And, and I just picked this one up. And of course, he's written novels as well and all kinds of essays, but he's just, he's no longer with us. He died a couple of years ago, but he really was one of our gems, I think
0: too. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for chatting
1: with me today. Yeah. It's been such an honor
0: to talk to you because I've been following you for so long and this has been yeah. so nice.
1: <laughs> i glad. Thank you for making the time for me. I really appreciate it. Oh gosh. It. my pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again to Audible for being this week's sponsor. Everybody go to audible.com slash Zibi and you get a month free of Audible on me.